Welcome to the fifth episode of Policy in Wonderland. I'm your host, Evitar Ramira, or you can call me Evi. In Policy in Wonderland, just like Alice, we are going to explore the amazing world of insurance, insurtech, and everything that's connected to this amazing ecosystem. In Policy in Wonderland, you will meet startups from all over the world and the key figures and more. So without further ado, I want to invite my guests to join me as we go down to the rabbit hole and this time to the Bay Area, right? To the Bay Area, right yeah. now. Yeah, great. So Bobby Turan from Rainbow. Hello, Bobby. How are you doing today? <laughs> so thank you very much for joining uh, for joining me today. And let's explore together the rainbow. Okay, what's we have on the rainbow? What color we have on the rainbow? But let's found, let's start from the beginning. With Bobby, that's a short introduction because. Uh, Pretty much sure that people know you, but um, you have like a inter interesting background, especially on the journey in the insurtech world. So, that's yeah. Right. So, again, thanks for having me. It's it's great to be here. Ah, of course. I've uh, so yeah, I've been working in the technology industry uh, for about fifteen years now. Uh, basically, since I graduated from college, I've been working wow. in tech. And uh, I've spent roughly the last eight years working in insurance. And I just realized earlier today, uh, it means that I've spent the majority of my professional career working in insurance, which was, I didn't even realize that until I heard myself saying it earlier. But um, like- uh, This is not something that you dreamt of. Well, it's just not something that I that I expected. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I. Uh, I, I don't know that I, I dreamt of going into technology either, but I had been a founder of a few different startups in industries that were not insurance. And then in 2017, I moved from the East Coast to the San Francisco Bay Area to join a fintech startup incubator um, called HVF Labs. And at HVF Labs, uh, the, the mission was to basically build companies, um, typically in financial services. And myself and the two people who I started Pathpoint with um, were interested in commercial insurance because we're curious people. And uh, it was an attractive opportunity in the sense that it was a very large industry. We knew it's a very important industry. And we saw that it was an industry that still had not really fully embraced the use of technology and software. You started uh, Pathpoint, you started Pathpoint like, and uh, 2018? 17. 17. Okay. And right now it's called the outline, right? It, yeah, it used to be called outline. That's right. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So you jump your first day, as we can say that, your first day in insurance you to go to commercial lines. Commercial lines, yes. Commercial PNC, and more specifically, uh, the surplus lines. Uh, part of the market, non-admitted surplus lines, excess and surplus, all sort of synonyms. But yeah, that's that's where. We, and as you know, the, the reason we started there, which is a question I get asked the, pretty frequently, is um, you know it's one of those situations where I'm sure maybe you've felt this before. Um, you have a lot more experience in insurance than I do, but sometimes there's like a value in starting a business in an industry where you are an outsider because you can look at things from a different perspective and because we myself and my co-founders really didn't know much about insurance on day one 
we had to talk to the people in the industry. So we had to talk to underwriters, we had to talk to brokers. And what we kept hearing was, you know, we were sort of surprised by the way that they operated and that they did their jobs in the sense that it felt like they weren't using software in places where they could be using software to make things mm -hmm. a little bit easier for themselves. And what we would consistently hear was, oh, if you think what we're doing is like make seemingly manual, you should see how people do it in the excess and surplus lines market. And that was very like intriguing to us. And like I said, I think all of us are very curious. The three of us were curious people. And so we started learning more about what the excess and surplus lines market was, how Lloyd's of London has operated basically since the beginning of time. Um, and uh, as we learned more and more and had conversations with people, we knew that excess and surplus was an industry that would definitely benefit from the use of software. And uh, it was very much just kind of putting one foot in front of the other and uh, learning as much as we could about the business. And uh, then we started Pathpoint. And the, the goal for what was originally called Outline and that we then later rebranded to Pathpoint, the goal was to create basically a digital exchange for excess and surplus lines business. So agents, retail agents could submit their ENS business into our online platform. We would build and maintain the online platform and we would build and maintain integrations with the APIs of excess and surplus lines carriers. You know uh, what, Bobby, let's, let's uh, stop and let's do a short one-on-one. -on -one. What is ENS? Because I think is not the most, but one of the most interesting uh, point in insurance, especially when it comes to the US. And yeah. um, I would love to hear it's admitted, non-admitted, because I think it's very important to the rest of the show of the call. Sure. So uh, yeah, like you said, <clears throat> term for typically what goes into excess and surplus lines is called non-admitted business. So most of the insurance in, in I'll just use the US as an example, uh, like call it 75% of all the insurance in commercial PNC is admitted. And what admitted means is that every state basically has a guarantee fund to backstop the carriers that sell their products in that state. Um, and in order for the carrier to sell that product, they are admitted to do business by the Department of Insurance, the regulator in that state. Non-admitted doesn't have that backstop guarantee, and uh, non-admitted insurance also has more flexibility in terms of how the business is underwritten. Commonly, people say you have the freedom of rate and form, so you can charge what you want to charge, and you can use wordings that are not subject to review by the regulators. Um, and the role that non-admitted plays in the market is really important. Basically, it's often the businesses that are a little bit more distressed. It could be businesses that are in higher areas of hazard, um, but those are still important businesses. And in the United States, you have a lot of concentration um, in areas where it makes sense to have non-admitted business. And the other thing that's really important about non-admitted is that typically the newer types of coverage, so cyber insurance, insurance for cannabis, different types of ENO or DNO insurance, I mean, even just general liability or property coverages, a lot of times those, those coverages will start non-admitted, 
until the regulators become more comfortable with them, and then admitted products will become available for, for those categories. Okay, well, interesting point, because once you started as a non-admitted, like you uh, gain your traction, and then you have a better opportunity. I, I don't know if I correct you, but uh, I have a better opportunity to become an MGA or I need to be an MGA to sell non-admitted. Uh, I don't know if necessarily being non-admitted or admitted directly ties to being an MGA yeah. as, as I think of an MGA. So historically, all the big insurance companies in the United States were always in New York or Connecticut or Boston, mm -hmm. you know, the original big cities of the country. And then as the country moved to the West and into the South, those big insurance companies wouldn't be able to go set up offices in all the other parts of the country. And America is a very big country. So what happened was these MGAs, managing general agencies, would set up and they would sell the product of those large carriers in those local territories. And oftentimes those local MGAs would apply uh, territory specific knowledge mm -hmm. to protect the underwriting of the carriers in a way that it wouldn't have been cost effective for carriers to do. Um, I think more recently, like in the last call it 20 years, where you have a lot of insurtechs taking the model of an MGA, I think that's because it's a convenient way to operate the distribution of a product that you are developing yourself. Um, and that oftentimes you're going to be writing on capacity or insurance paper that you borrow from a capacity provider. And that capacity might be admitted and it, it might be not admitted. I think it really depends on the type of risk you're interested in insuring more than anything. So let's leave the MGA for, for later and let's dig into Rainbow. Okay, so what is Rainbow? You know, so why, why Rainbow? Why the name Rainbow? Why the name Rainbow? Why not? I it's a enjoyable name. It's a very happy name for me. Yeah. I, maybe for the beginning of the conversation, I need to put the the uh, warning stones. Um, I forget the name the name of the song. Um, Rainbow. I think it's a, the name is Rainbow. So Rainbow. those it's are the it's putting smile on your face immediately. Yeah, and that's and so a big part of why we chose the name was that it's it's like it has a universally positive connotation. Um, it's also a word that is quite easy to remember, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a word that actually is not really widely used in financial services and in insurance. And so, you know, I, I feel like. There are good brand names and then there are good brand names that become good because you use them and because mm -hmm. you assign values to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but making sure that we had a very customer-centric experience, which is what I'll talk about, like why Rainbow yeah. the business, was really important. And so having a, having a name that people would have a smile on their face, exactly like you said, was something that just felt like a safe brand name for us. Yeah, that's... And it just sort of stuck, and then we got started with it. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. why after you operate in Shootech, access, uh, access in, uh, in Shootech in the ENS world, you wanted to 
create another intrusion. So the reason I wanted to do another one was because I really fell in love with the insurance industry. Uh, honestly, like I, I just spent basically as one of the co-founders and while I was at Pathpoint, the CEO, I would spend a lot of my time every day talking to brokers and talking to underwriters at the carriers who we represented. And I, you know, those relationships are a big part of the reason why I care about the industry and why I wanted to stay active in it. Um, the reason I wanted to start an admitted, and Rainbow is an admitted product, as you're saying, um, and I can talk about sort of the business we focus on, but yeah. at Pathpoint, we only sold the products of other carriers exactly as they were. So we didn't have any flexibility mm -hmm. to say, we're going to accept those products with certain modifications that are specific to Pathpoint, really. That business is all about distribution and efficient distribution. It's also about selling products to retail agents. It's about selling products through an online platform. Um, and of course, it's about sort of doing that in a responsible way and being mindful of insurance. So those pillars, selling to agents, selling online, and selling, uh, selling insurance through the platform are several of the pillars that stayed with me and I wanted to sort of do with Rainbow with the key difference being that Rainbow is really an underwriting company. Whereas Pathpoint is a distribution company, Rainbow is about underwriting. So mm -hmm. our most important uh, metric for success over time is being the best at underwriting from a loss ratio perspective, the different businesses that we try to insure. And we do that using data. We do that using software-driven processes, which can be more deliberate. They can be more precise. Um, and hopefully it just gives a better experience to our agents, which is kind of what it's all about, right? Like building a, building a customer-centric experience for, for the agents. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of, of uh, all those reasons. Plus, I think one of those expressions like the grass is always greener on the other side and underwriting was something that I didn't really know, but that was sort of the other critical, one of the other critical parts of insurance along with like claims and maybe a few segments. And it's something that I wanted to uh, experience. And so we're coming up on the two year anniversary in January, it will be two years that we've wow, been building. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Um... By the way, you started to operate uh, like um, sell, uh, sell policy already, right? On July? Uh, yes. So we sold our first policies in July mm -hmm. uh, of this year. Because we're an admitted product, we need our product to be approved by the regulators, the Department of Insurance in every state where we want to sell the product. Mm -hmm. So we have a whole process and a member of our team manages um, the approval and filing development process. So we're currently live in six states. Okay. Pennsylvania is the most recent state to go live. Uh, those other states are Arizona, Texas, Indiana, Michigan, and Utah. The main area for your target audience right now, except the, the East, right? Uh, like what state is the most active state for us? Yeah, especially for restaurants, because I know the West Coast, Texas, New York, the East, and the uh, Florida is one of the biggest market for your uh, for your audience. 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Texas is definitely our most active state. Um, it's also quite a bit larger than any of our other states. Yeah. It's almost larger than all of our other states combined because um, it's it's a very large state. Um, but our current, you know, our capacity provider on our program, and so the products admitted, it's a BOP product for restaurants, and we can talk more about why restaurants. And that admitted BOP is written on paper provided by Accelerant. Um, so they're our capacity provider. Mm -hmm. So with Accelerant, we'll be live in 26 total states with this program. Those 26 states, those remaining 20 states will include Florida, New York, and California, among mm -hmm. 17 other states. Nice. Those 26 states represent roughly 80% of the U.S. population, and they represent closer to 90% because restaurants is very closely correlated to population, makes sense. If there's more people, there's right. going to be more places to buy food. It represents closer to 90% of the total restaurants in the country. So once we're at sort of like full distribution with our uh, territory, we will be able to serve, you know, up to 90% of the restaurants in the country. I want to ask you a, a bit hard question about the vertical about the, the restaurants, uh, the industry you choose. We can see a lot. First of all, you said you are MGA, of course, and we know that MGA, as uh, you said earlier, um, very, in the beginning, especially very unique and uh, very boutique lines for boutique lines, like uh, especially for winery and so on. Yeah. Um, this is one thing. The second one is you have a lot more right now platforms to create a better underwriting for carriers. For example, I know Plank, uh, Plank, uh, Plank Data. If I combine it, the two points, like the MGA, it's boutique and restaurants are not that boutique, okay? Such as winery, for example. And all carriers, not all of them want to uh, uh, to insure restaurants, but they can, okay? But right now, they have tools to create a better underwriting, such Plank Data. And if I will use Plank Data, I will know what is the opening hours. If you have uh, happy hours for liability, for uh, maybe after that worker compensation, uh, if I can see the exit sign in the in the process, so I know if it's uh, regulated or not, so on and so on. What is your unique proposition to to the market, to the markets? Because you sell restaurants and you sell it. Not directly, by the way, and I wanted I, I want to uh, dig in uh, after that uh, because you sell through the agents, and it's very yeah. very important point. Um, yeah. But what is your unique or what is your value proposition here, especially your sector, especially out the way you underwrite? Yeah, so that's a big question, and there is. <laughs> Many pieces to it, but it's a really good question. So I'll try to answer it like fairly directly. And then if you want to go deeper on any of the points, just let me know. Um, so 
One thing that I learned from observing successful MGAs in the admitted, but also, but even more so, I guess, in the non-admitted world, is that those that do best tend to do two things really well. One is that they really have that end user experience um, in mind. So what that means for us and for a lot of those MGAs is they, they make a very good experience for the agents. It's easy to do business with the MGA. We offer competitive commissions with other benefits to the agents that work with us. And we try to fill a need in their portfolio. So like you said, a lot of large carriers don't really like to write restaurants. And in fact, in the last several years and since COVID and everything else that's been happening in the economy, carriers that used to write restaurants have now either really pulled back their appetite. So they what they used to write like this of restaurants, now they maybe only want very specific kinds of restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, or they've completely stopped writing restaurants altogether. And that creates a very bad experience for their agents, right? So one is thinking about that, that user experience, okay? The other piece is being specialized in underwriting. And specialization means a few different things. Historically, it would mean before the use of more software that you would just hire experts in underwriting restaurants, people who've underwritten restaurants their whole career. A lot of times, if you talk to underwriters who've been writing restaurants their whole career in a certain territory, they will tell you that they have quoted the same restaurant many times in their career because it will come to them from different agents. Mm -hmm. And you can understand why if you as an underwriter have seen a piece of business, you've seen a risk many times, you're gonna be one of the best people to underwrite it. And that's very hard for software to replicate. I'll tell you that, right? So what we do is we combine that expertise and that focus and specialization with data that's very specific to the food and beverage industry not just data that's available from companies like Google, like the reviews, the photographs of premises, Yelp, um, some of the common ones, uh, but we also use data that's specific to the actual businesses themselves, like restaurants all over the country, what systems do they use? How long have they been open? What are their hours of operation? We could use things like health score data to understand if businesses have been closed due to like poor processes, all of those things we're able to do because we are so specialized in one specific category. If you are an MGA focused on small commercial in the US, that means that you have to be able to underwrite hundreds of codes like NAICS codes, business classification codes. Yeah. And that means that you have to connect to data providers that are very general, gen you know, in speaking at a high level. Um, and so you may not be getting all the underwriting insights that you want. You might make it easier for the agent because you can pre-fill lots of things. Um, but winning on pre-fill and winning on like going very broad, but being like not as deep in the underwriting is not really the approach that we're taking. We're taking the approach of being very specialized. We believe that by being specialized and by being thoughtful, we are going to be less likely to have to exit the category of restaurants after a couple of years, which is another thing that's just very frustrating for agents. They will learn about a new market that wants to write restaurants. That carrier will start writing restaurants, whether it's an MGA or a carrier. They won't necessarily do it effectively. 
And then because they don't want to keep getting losses, they just exit the category. And now the agent is stuck dealing with a bunch of non-renewals. They're going to have to learn a new appetite. And that's, again, that's just not a good agent experience. And the agent experience is really at the heart of everything that we think about. So that's sort of, those are some of the ways that we approach it differently. I'm happy to talk more about any of those pieces or talk about something else too that helps with that. Now let's dig in on the uh, agent's uh, perspective because you're focusing on agents. Why to start with agents? Not go direct to consumer. So first of all, from a from the perspective of small commercial um, new insurance companies, not large established companies, new companies like startups that have to think about managing their budget and being capital efficient. I don't really have good examples in my mind of companies that have made going direct to consumer work for them. It's, it's very expensive. Like one of the first places people think is to be better at online advertising. But the term commercial insurance is actually one of, at least it, or it was at one point, if it still isn't, it's the most expensive cost per click on the internet. It's more expensive than loans. It's more expensive than credit cards. It's really expensive. And so if you're going to spend that money to just have someone click, the rest of your experience not only has to be really tight, the amount of money that you plan to make from that, from that clicker, it better make sense. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do that for very long. So I just seen lots of companies start like in InsureTech 1.0, like we were talking about, going direct to consumer. Basically, every one of those that I can think about has now pivoted towards saying, actually, we want to distribute through agents because that's very painful for a company. The other reason, which relates to the second point about being specialized and about having the best loss ratio within restaurants is I think there's quite a bit of evidence that business owners that do not buy their insurance through an agent, meaning business owners that buy their insurance directly, tend to perform worse from a loss ratio perspective. And I think a big part of that is because the agent plays a very critical role in evaluating the true risk of your business and making sure you're getting a policy that covers your risks. We all know that small business owners, especially restaurants, uh, go in and out of business. We know that managing their cash flow is obviously very important. Mm -hmm. And for for really all restaurants, insurance is a must-have. Like a, it's a it's a must-have. You must buy it, oftentimes to satisfy like a lease requirement. And so they're trying to manage their money, but they know they need to have this thing. A lot of people think I'm just going to buy the absolute cheapest coverage that will check the box. Well, why that might make sense in the short term in helping you get insurance and move on with focusing on your craft, which is making great food and great experiences for your patrons. The problem is that you may have a product, an insurance product that doesn't correctly assume all of your liabilities. And then when you have a claim, you're going to realize that you have to pay far more and that's going to hurt you a lot more from an expense perspective. But that's really where an experienced agent um, plays such an incredibly critical role. So early on, we knew that we wanted to uh, distribute through agents from day one, and, and that's what we're committed to. I want to talk about a very, uh, I can say that is very unique, for especially for commercial insurance. You have a product that called um, Pay As You Go, 
right? For restaurants, we sometimes see it, of course, especially in cars, cars insurance, automobile insurance, but not in commercial. And right now, what you have is in restaurants. So can you expand it here about it? What is mean pay as you go? Absolutely. So we only sell insurance policies that have one term. And that is an annual term. Okay. There have been a couple of companies that started in the last 10 years that had not pay as you go, but it was like usage-based insurance, which is like a similar concept. So the example was contractor's insurance that you turn on when you're on the job. And then when you leave the job, you turn it off. And because you're only using it in those times, the idea is that you get the coverage you need, but it's less cost than if you had it on all the time. I think most of those companies have unfortunately not been successful with the math of making that work. So, but the annual term policy is one that's sort of well-established. So if you buy a rainbow policy for a restaurant, if you as an agent, every policy will have a one-year term. What we offer are three payment types. An annual term payment, meaning you pay for the full year upfront. If you do that, we give you a discount. Monthly payment, which is the annual divided by 12. So you make 12 equal installments or pay as you go. For pay as you go, we, we did kind of, we, we decided to launch pay as you go for a few reasons. Number one, like you said, there are not many examples of pay as you go pricing available in commercial insurance. I actually don't know of any that exist. Um, however, telematics in, in sort of automobile is one excellent example. But the other example that we were very intrigued by was workers' compensation. Workers' compensation has been sold pay-as-you-go for more than a decade. I can tell you that at Rainbow, our workers' comp policy is pay-as-you-go, right? Like, it's quite common. And interestingly enough, the largest employer in the country are restaurants. And so basically, any large workers' comp company has a large percentage of its portfolio insuring restaurants, and many of them buy pay-as-you-go already. So the way pay-as-you-go works is, as your liabilities increase or decrease, you pay correspondingly more or less in premium. And so the way it works for workers' comp is, if you have more, if you hire more employees, the idea is that you shouldn't have to stop your business and go out and ask your agent to get you a new quote for workers' compensation. The idea is that your premium for the next month should just be higher. And then if you have to let people go, or if you're a seasonal business and you're slower in the summer or more busy in the summer, your premium would adjust sort of accordingly. You have a credit card on file, the coverage remains at all times, so you never are not covered, but it's helping you manage your cash flow much more efficiently, right? And that's important to business owners. And again, it goes back to this idea of being customer centric. So we were thinking about like what's important to the restaurant owners and we thought, okay, we have a BOP product. The general liability component of the BOP product can be priced up or down depending on the sales of the business in that month. With the thinking being that if you have more sales, you probably have more people in your business. If there are more people in your business, there's probably a higher chance for risk. And so in those busier months, you pay more for insurance. 
If you have slower months, again, if you're a seasonal business, you should pay less insurance, but you will always have coverage. You don't have to worry about, oh, I forgot to turn on my coverage. Now, if there's a claim, I'm going to really get hit hard. You always have that security, but you also have the, the peace of mind knowing that you're only paying for the risk that your business truly has. So that's okay. why we sort of develop the pay-as-you-go concept. And these policies, uh, pay-as-you-go policies audited or not? Great question. So that's another thing that we saw was an area for opportunity. Restaurants, uh, business owners really dislike being audited. And agents also really dislike it because they are often involved with the audit. The carrier will audit the business through the agent. And again, going back to being customer-centric, we want to remove those pains But we don't want to remove the benefit that auditing a business gives you as an underwriting company. Um, and that benefit is that you get a real sense of was this risk what we thought it was when we priced it originally, when we sold them the coverage, right? So if you buy a pay-as-you-go policy from us, the expectation is that you will not be audited. Unless something unexpected happens, then we might need to audit part of the business. But generally speaking, if we are being given the way that the pay-as-you-go works, the only way you can qualify for pay-as-you-go is that you have to send us monthly sales data. You can either do that through your POS system. Most POSs that are cloud-based these days have robust reporting capabilities. So you just enter sort of who's receiving that information. You do that one time. And then every month, like clockwork, these reports will be sent to us and our software will adjust the pricing up or down, right? Or you can share with us like QuickBooks or like book type information. Mm -hmm. So because we're getting that information, we know with a lot more visibility what your business is actually doing. Most carriers, even those that do audit, and that's the other thing, most carriers don't audit these small commercial policies And then as a result, they get these like surprising outcomes. And the only remedy is to either stop writing restaurants uh, or really limit the appetite again, right? And that's not a, that feels like a sort of, an, an, not an elegant solution to, uh, not a technology thoughtful or centric solution to try to improve them. So because they don't audit, the only time a carrier really gets meaningful data at all about a business they're insuring is two times, when they buy the policy and when they renew the policy. That's it, unless there's an audit and then that would be the third time. In our world, if you buy a pay-as-you-go policy from us, we have visibility into your business every four weeks from the time you purchase it, right? And we can see, hey, you said your hours of operation were only 12, it looks like you're serving food until 2 a.m. That means that you have more liability That's different than what we thought or like what we were told. Or, so it's, oh, not, it's not that you are looking only on the sales uh, cycles, but also the, or the risk cycles. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly so, yeah, right. Go, go ahead with your example. If... Well, no, so we would, know, uh, we would know if they are organizing happy hours. We would be able to see if there's particular times of the day where they have a big spike in spending and then if we research we could see oh they have live entertainment on those days and we don't really want to like business right businesses with live entertainment for example 
um, this just gives us far more insight into the business. But this is not create like a new pain to the restaurants that each four weeks you are going to investigate the, the, the insured, the policy holder. And they'll tell them, okay, I saw that you change your happy hours. I saw, and so on. And then, okay, I just, right now, I created a new pain. That's, I think that's a fair observation. But I would say that at the end of the day, insurance is based on this concept of utmost good faith. We can only be responsible as the underwriting company for the risk that we believe we have underwritten. If the business changes, the insurance and the price of that insurance has to change. Otherwise, we It can't be in business. Yeah. Nobody, nobody can be in business. Now, that's like the general principle. I will tell you that we have our own internal guidelines for what are the true reasons to intervene. So first of all, it's not cost effective for us to every four weeks be reaching out to the same restaurant. Hey, 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 hey. So we will use that information to look for patterns. We will look for trends. We will identify if those trends are increasing or decreasing. We understand that the nature of the business might need to evolve at certain times of the year, and that's okay. But if you say you're a bar and grill, and then over time it becomes clear that you are a bar, your business has changed, and so your insurance should change. But you have another positive uh, uh, income here to create, maybe in the future, a new product. Because once you see trends, once you see cycles, once you see something that repeats, of course, about uh, after, and you can see that, okay, a lot of restaurants that serve uh, alcohol right now, just for the example, now uh, serve it with... Um, with barbecue. Okay, there's another product that I can sell. So, right. yeah. And you That's also have, stuff. yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it really, it helps create accountability, right? We can be accountable to our policyholders and our policyholders, again, those that buy the pay-as-you-go option can be more accountable to themselves, but also to us. And we balance pay-as-you-go with this other concept that we can talk about called rainbow rewards. And that idea is if you are a less risky business. Oh, yeah, this is the second, this is the, uh, another question that I wanted to hear. And it's something that, I mean, you're probably very uniquely qualified to talk about this. So I'd love to hear how you thought about it uh, yourself. It's like, if we have evidence, photographs, yeah. uh, answers to additional questions, a demonstration that you're a membership of associations that sort of represent a level of integrity in how you operate as a business. If you've been in business for a certain number of years, if you have staff that's trained in a certain way, those businesses, all else equal, should pay less in insurance coverage because they are less risky, because the people play such an important role. So what we try to uncover through our questionnaire that relates to like our eligibility guidelines and ultimately our pricing is, we wanna to try to identify which of these restaurants are truly less risky so that we can pass on the savings to them. We can charge them less in premium. Um, my takeaway from uh, uh, Rainbow Rewards is that once you create a um, 
a journey between you and the end user, the customer, to ask him that if you can take a picture of your restaurant, you immediately create a trust or not trust. Because once the once the insured say, you know what, I want a regular insurance company. I don't want uh, to take any photo. So yeah. immediately you have a red alert to you. And this is a good signal to the to the insurance agent. Look your portfolio. Look your uh, your customers. And this is uh, another point. You engage here the um, the insured with much closer data or much more better information about his business, because in restaurants, especially restaurants, this is not a, this is a unique business for the policyholder. For the poly, for the owners, he created like from the money that he took from his home and created his restaurant because he loved to cook, and this is this is his life. And once you create that kind of trust, look, I maybe I pitch the something here, but uh, once I want to take care of your business, not just to take your premium and that's it. I will talk to you next year. Yeah. Once I create trust and I create a, a path that I want to take care of your business, I really want to take care of your business because this is the reason why I need this information. And right. once you bring that in your way and the rewards and uh, it looks very cool on the website, um, this is engage the customer even better to any journey, any customer journey that I think have. Yeah, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's really well said. And at the end of the day, insurance is about trust. Exactly. And so if you can create more trust with your insured and they can feel like they trust you, it might sound silly, but that's like the best form of insurance. That's the truest form of insurance. Um, right. And like you said, the agent also benefits from this. They don't have to make pay-as-you-go available to their business that they're insuring, but it's yet another value proposition that they can present to a business owner and say, hey, this is why you should work with Rainbow. And if you want to work with Rainbow, here's why you should work with me as your agent. I'm going to give you this product that's going to be beneficial to you. Oh, we're close to the end, but I want, yeah, I have a several questions uh, yet. Um, let's focus about MGA, but from the macro, okay? Uh, we see a lot of talks about MGAs that uh, this is not longer the model that VC is looking for or want to, uh, um, want to invest in. I would love to hear your, your, your takeaways on that because you created your MGA and I think best point uh, was benefits for you, of course, once you created Rainbow uh, because you you need a lot of data. You need a, to create a positive loss ratio or to show that you can create a positive loss ratio, especially in business like restaurants that we know the loss ratio is one of the highest uh, uh, loss ratio in commercial lines. What is your takeaways on MGAs on how you create and able to see and 
to see that, okay, I want to be an MGA to restaurants, especially to restaurants, high-risk uh, business. So a couple of things. I think like any good venture, <clears throat> um, most entrepreneurs want to work on those ventures that they believe can demonstrate the most value in the in a relatively short period of time, right? And that's, I think, what a lot of venture capital investors look for. So when we were thinking about restaurants and we thought about how investors think about it, we wanted it to be a large market. So restaurants is, is a very large market within the broader category of small commercial. Um, we wanted to focus on something that actually does have, or at least is characterized by having a higher loss ratio because it would create more of an opportunity for us to improve the loss ratio and therefore prove our value to the broader market, um, as well as just having you know, enough data and, and being a good business basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that's like getting a little bit into the thinking of like the value proposition of the story. As far as the investor sentiment around MGAs, look, I think every good investor is rethinking what they think is good or not good to invest in right now. And it's been going on for more than a year. And I think it's going to continue. And I don't think that that's going to really go away. Like... I think the market is kind of correcting itself a little bit right now, but you know, I, I think what could be said about MGAs could also be said about crypto. It could also be said about blockchain. Um, arguably, it can be said around a lot of the AI projects that are out there right now. These are certainly very buzzy concepts, but the question is, how is what you're going to do a create value, b have like a level of defensibility? Right, like what prevents someone else from copying exactly what you've done, um, and then and then the third point is like, are you going to be able to do it in a way that doesn't require endless capital? Are you going to have a vision for how this like becomes profitable, so that you have more options for outcomes or exits, and so that there's just a much higher likelihood that I, as an investor, am going to ever get my money back, and hopefully get like a nice return on my money too. So I think because What's happening in SureTech is partly because of like the macro happenings with investors. Also, I think a lot of the, M the businesses that started as MGAs at one point in their life cycle that then became public companies, a lot of those companies have really struggled in the market. And so I think investors, of course, see that. And so they're maybe a little bit more skeptical of like the magnitude of the outcomes uh, for certain types of businesses. Um, so that's, I think like, those are like pretty general comments, but that's what I think. I still think that MGAs, if you're an investor that wants to invest in insurance, MGAs are a great fit. I think that, again, if you go back, if you rewind the clock over the last 10 years, there were a lot of investors who said, oh, we want to invest in, in good businesses. And furthermore, we're interested in financial technology or fintech. And so since insurance is a financial service, we're going to bet a lot on insurance because it's like other financial services. And in fact, insurance is not like a lot of other financial services. It's distinct. It's very large. It has its own nuances. 
And I think a lot of those investors are not investing in insurance anymore, but the invest and are not investing in MGAs. But the investors that understand insurance that like have a very specific reason for investing in insurance, they are still always actively looking for good, thoughtful MGAs. Because at the end of the day, the MGA model combines two of the central pieces of insurance, which is distribution and underwriting. Um, so I think, again, well-run businesses that, you know, again, the fundamentals have a path to profitability, have a value proposition that's unique and that creates enough value, those businesses are going to continue to attract investment. Awesome. So, wow. Uh, we are, <laughs> I need to ask the last question. Um, we talk a lot about uh, restaurants. So what is your favorite recipe or your favorite uh, dish? So one of, one of the reasons <laughs> that we chose restaurants uh, was because I personally really love food. Like really love food. And we love to eat out. It's very hard for me to answer that. Um, yeah, we will really post the recipe on the uh, and on the notes on the podcast. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say in general, I really love sushi. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so another question: What is your recommendation for you know what you're doing in your free time? Uh, you can food related, okay, but uh, movie, book. Something inspired you. I know that you are mountain bikes and skiing, but um, what else? <laughs> yeah, so basically when I'm not working on Rainbow, I split my time between spending time with my family. I have a young son who takes a lot of my time and I, I really enjoy doing that. Right. And uh, like you said, I, I really love the outdoors and just being outside is good for my mental health, um, but also living in the Bay Area, We're fortunate to have lots of very beautiful natural outdoors areas around us. And uh, I just try to spend time in the outdoors, oftentimes with my family. So I can kind of, I'm always looking for efficiency. So if I can do two passions at once, that's a good thing. <laughs> that is very smart. Bobby, thank you very much. Very appreciate your time and um, success with uh, Rainbow. Thanks, Evan. It was, this was a pleasure. So thanks for having me again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.